There we go. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm Dave Vanderveen. As you know, if you've been listening, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is all about helping people break through barriers in their life. And uh, I feel like I broke through a barrier in my life this last weekend. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to safe and socially host an outdoor breathing workshop with Reese Peluso, my um, guest today. Reese, welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, it was such a fun time this weekend. I love the outdoor setting that we got to enjoy at your house and really awesome crew. Um, just blown away. I mean, I always am really when people get together in this fashion of doing some breath work and getting in the ice bath and it just for whatever reason brings people together in the best possible way so yeah thank you for hosting that and putting it on uh, i felt like we uh, we were lucky to be able to host it. it was just it was a lot of fun um for people who weren't following my social or reese's um the uh we did a a, a vim hoff method breathing class or training this weekend seminar that was uh, kind of culminates in an ice bath where we submerge ourselves in a horse trough full of water and, and ice. It's very, very cold. Tell us, um, Reese, I thought maybe we'd start by, you know, maybe we can start by just walking through what this workshop is, why people do these breathing exercises, and then get into the broader breath work that you do. Um, one of the things that, that you we talked about this weekend were two books, the Wim Hof method is one book that I think we discussed. And then um, we also talk, talked about James Nestor's book, Breath. Yeah. Both excellent books, strong recommends. But um, tell us about what we did. Maybe we can start with what we did this weekend. A lot of people saw the, the, the ice bath. Um, you know, I think that gets a lot of people's attention. Absolutely. Um, but how do we get there? What was, what, what's, what was one of these weekends or, you know, it's kind of a, a Saturday afternoon. What was, what was that about? Yeah, so we really focused on the fundamentals of the Wim Hof method. So, you know, there's a combination of breathing, some science, some things around the mindset, and then obviously the, the ice bath at the end. So the Wim Hof method, most people already know about the breathing and about the, the cold exposure. I love the mindset aspect of it because it, um, you know, it takes a strong mind to first start breathing in a, you know, controlled hyperventilation pattern and it can be uncomfortable. And so when we start to use our mind in a way where we can reframe what we're doing into a place of, Hey, this is a tool. This is an opportunity to step into discomfort and then begin to expand your comfort zone or what's actually possible. And then looking at science, that's one of the beauties of Wim and what he's accomplished is that there's science behind everything that he's doing. For those of you who might not know, what really kind of put Wim on the map was a study done at Radbout University. He was injected with an endotoxin, which is basically stimulates a uh, food poisoning like reaction, vomiting, diarrhea, headache, you know, fever. He was injected with E. coli, right? E. coli. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and he basically fought it off in a very short amount of time through doing his breathing protocol. And the doctors thought, well, you're kind of an anomaly, obviously a freak of nature. And he said, no, I can do this with anyone. I'll take a group, train them and bring them back. So he took a group out to Poland, um, in under a week, they went through, you know, some rigorous training. Then he brought them back to the lab and they all, um, underwent the same study and, you know, thousands of people before have had the same reaction to the endotoxin that, you know, most, most any of us would. And, and then Wim came through and, and showed that he can kind of change and access his autonomic nervous system and his immune system. And all of the people that he trained had the same thing. So, science really kind of put Wim on the map. Otherwise, you know, he'd just kind of be a crazy guy climbing mountains in his shorts. And if you've ever heard him, you know, you know, he's kind of this larger than life character and very outspoken and wild and, and he's just awesome. So, but really without the science, people wouldn't necessarily take him seriously. And once that came through, uh, you know, now we have this whole Wim Hof method and, and really kind of this movement, but for me, one of the things that really drew me in was the science. I'm not like a science buff by any means, but having the ability to see like some charts and graphs and understand what's going on and then to breathe in a way that you feel a lot, you know, there's a lot of energy moving. There's a lot of chemical changes that are happening that bring up some sensations in the body. I can start to like visualize what's going on and, and create this connection of like, you know, the body to the practice in a different way. And, and really that's what like, it kind of blew me away. And um, so we get into some of that really kind of baseline type stuff. And then from there we get into the ice bath and that's always like the fun part really, because uh, you know, getting into a big bucket of ice is always um, it's, it's something that, seems very strange uh and and it is but it's also a great tool for a lot of things and again that mental strength um and and really breaking down barriers things that we've been told our whole lives that for one reason or another have been passed down that maybe aren't necessarily true and and we're kind of just reawakening to what we're actually capable of and being in cold is something that our bodies can handle and you know, we've been told or tell ourselves that we can't. So we're just kind of re reestablishing this, this power that we all have in us. You know, I'm, I'm no different than, than any of you. Um, I'm, I'm not, not anything special, but I've just begun to understand what I can do and, and trust my body really. So um, yeah, that's kind of the basis of, of the workshop. And then, you know, there's a lot more that opens up from that. Um, there's an alternate breathing protocol there's, and then just the breath rabbit hole, you know, is, is really endless. So talk to me about, so this, I think what's really interesting is this whole idea of, of, you know, cold, um, and, and stepping into discomfort, the, uh, Vim himself, I mean, he's, he's quite, he is a bit of an, an anomaly in a way, just that he was drawn to, being in the cold. Um, he was yeah. drawn to being, he was chopping ice in, uh, or chop, chopping holes in the ice in a little lake 
in the Netherlands where, where he was living at the time and just started going into literally freezing water. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why people might be drawn to something like just getting into cold water um, and then how breathing helps people kind of break through the barrier. Like I, I started ocean swimming here. It's very cold. It's not frozen, but you're in long enough to get just as cold. Um, you know, I noticed, you know, I like to go in, I like the feeling, but when I come out, I start shivering and shaking and, you know, it's really hard to uh, prolong it. Um, what are some of the reasons people get drawn into being discomfort? How does it help shape us and change us? And why did Wim choose the cold and, and how did breathing kind of connect to his, his, pursuit of the cold yeah well i think the cool thing about wim is he's studied a lot of different kind of eastern modalities um you know yogic practices and that sort of thing tumo breathing and and by going into nature and just kind of exploring he really kind of figured some of these things out on his own um as far as people being drawn to the cold i think that's just maybe something you're you're built it's built in you know i think a lot of people actually have a lot of aversion to the cold because of the discomfort that it it brings you especially in in modern life you know you think about where we live and how we live we've got clothing we've got temperature controlled rooms we have all these modern luxuries that make it uncomfortable to be in a in a cold environment so by using the cold as a tool to train, we can kind of start to reestablish our relationship to some of the systems in our body that kind of get dampened or that don't, aren't necessarily need, they don't need to function in the way that they once did. You know, you think about ancestrally, um, people were living out in the cold and, and they didn't have what we had, you know, and, and they survived. So we, um, we can begin to use the cold to not only bring some of those powers back, but then also again, like train that, that discomfort. And, you know, I think one of the things that I really have appreciated about the cold, I'm, I'm the guy who's, you know, I surf in my full suit in the summer. (laughs) Um, I, I, I've had more. (laughs) Yeah, I like to be warm. But when I kind of first got in the ice bath and was like, boom, you feel this immediate like shock. And there's, there's really nowhere to run, you know, your mind is going a million miles in a minute. And really, you have to like bring this level of focus to be able to get to the point where your body like relaxes into the cold and you can actually be there. And, and really, I appreciated the, the process of that. And, you know, it's like, I always say the the ice bath or the cold is a mirror for life. How we do anything is how we do everything. So, you know, the tendency would likely have been, Hey, I get in the ice bath. I feel this shock, get me out of here. And I would bail, you know, and, and that's probably how I was doing things. A lot of things when I was facing discomfort, but then when I was able to reframe it into this tool, then I could get in and be like, okay, let me be here for a minute. Let me be in the discomfort. And then really kind of everything settles, you know, and it's, it's this really cool process that if you allow yourself to be in that discomfort, I always say like, 
the magic is on the other side. You know, if you can just get to a certain point, it, everything starts to open up. And then, you know, when you're in the ice bath for about a minute, your system adjusts and you're like, okay, I can be here, you know? And then however long you're staying in, you know, two minutes or whatever. And then you get out. It's like, you've just done something hard or uncomfortable. And then it just makes the rest of the day easier. You know what I mean? It's like two minutes of discomfort to have uh, an expanded capacity for the rest of your day. It's totally worth it. Not to mention you get all the chemical benefits of like, you know, these endorphins and dopamine and all this adrenaline release. And you just feel like a new person. It's like, no matter what, if you're having a horrible day and you go get in some cold water or take a cold shower, jump in the cold ocean, your day is going to be that much better because you've endured, uh, that sort of change. And then you've, you've had this like chemical release. So it's just like a really powerful, amazing tool if you can allow it to be that way. Um, so and what you know, are some of the powers you had mentioned, you mentioned, you know, um, using, you're using the cold to bring some of these powers back that our ancestors had. What is it? So one of the things is, is uh, brown adipose tissue or brown fat. Um, it is a hyper concentration of mitochondria, mitochondria being the uh, energy producers in our cells. And this brown fat is a way that our body produces heat with very little or no movement. Um, and so ancestrally thinking about it, like if you're out in the cold, you're, you're using that. And over time we've adapted away from it. We don't necessarily have that much of it. A lot of, uh, babies have it. Um, people who expose themselves to the cold have it. Um, but you know, like I said, babies, you can put them in a crib at night with, you know, very little clothing and they'll be, they'll stay warm. It's because they they have this brown fat and it actually metabolizes our white fat. So it's using um, the fat in our body to create more energy to then keep us hot. So, or warm. Um, is it, so is it, healthier, is it healthier to have brown fat than more too much white fat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, always kind of tell the story. I went to Poland, uh, about four years ago and, you know, I'm pretty skinny. Like I don't, there's not much weight to lose. And, and I was exposing myself to the cold a lot and I actually lost seven pounds while I was there and I ate more food than I've ever eaten my, in my life. So your metabolism is firing obviously because you need to produce heat and then you're, you're, you know, kind of reestablishing this relationship to the brown fat starts to grow back. Um, and, uh, so it's interesting, like the cold and you don't even really need like it to be super cold. Um, you know, 64 degrees or around there is kind of where the threshold of the body starts to go into this kind of, um, mode of, of warming yourself through its own kind of, um, mechanisms that are built in. So, uh, you know, the more you're training with the cold and, and creating that relationship, then the brown fat will grow back, be stimulated, be able to warm yourself up a lot quicker. Um, you know, and, and people who have a lot of, uh, experience in, in the cold, they can fire that stuff up and, and you can kind of move that energy through your body once you get out with some light movement. Um, you know, we were doing the horse stance, so, you know, getting low, 
firing off these main muscle groups in your legs, doing some light movement, um, breathing, uh, to kind of get that energy moving without using a lot of energy. You know, it's not, it's not like getting out and running or doing jumping jacks and, you know, kind of using a lot to get warm. It's we've got it there. So just kind of start slowly moving it around. You had said, yeah, cause we're doing like, I went swimming in the ocean this morning for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or something like this. I usually go out for a swim in my trunks waters, you know, maybe high fifties, 60, somewhere in there. It's pretty chilly this morning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, typically when I'm coming out, if I'm not doing the horse stance, and you had also mentioned some back flexing, is that right? Yep. yep. So, back. you know, this, the brown fat, it basically grows like along your back, uh, you know, along your kind of back collarbones, uh, down your spine and around your kidneys, you know, it's kind of protecting or around these more vital organs in our core. And so, um, muscle flexing or, you know, muscle contraction stimulates it. So once, when you get out, you know, we're doing this horse stance and I kind of, I use, you know, some movement across my body like this, where I imagine someone's pressing on my hand as I'm going across. So there's like this, um, innate flexing in the back, um, as I'm moving with my breath and then I'll take a breath in and I'll pull backwards. Like I'm squeezing my shoulder blades together, flexing my back, really squeezing that. And then you get this like little warmth and then kind of, you can kind of push it forward. You're still squeezing your back and then, you know, get back into the horse stance. You can do that a couple of times. And, you know, the thought is there that we're, we're stimulating brown fat because of that, um, muscle tension or, or flexing. Um, so through that at the same time, right? Pardon? Are you breathing, doing some breath work with that? Yeah. Well, I'm just kind of like using my breath, you know, as I move kind of breath each movement. So, you know, and, or you can do it through your nose, you know, breathing through our nose, we're going to kind of generate a little bit more heat. Um, so it's just kind of, it's, we're, we're, we're doing it slow. I mentioned before, you know, we're not running or not doing jumping jacks because when you get into the cold, you, uh, your body wants to do everything it can to protect your vital organs. So all the cold from your extremities, your hands, your arms, your feet, it's all going to be pressing into your core. We're getting this vasoconstriction. So all the, you know, um, vasculature is squeezing down, pushing that blood into the core. If we get out and we start running or start doing some fast movement, our heart starts beating, starts circulating that blood. So the blood from your hands, that's really cold, starts mixing with that blood in your core and you get what's called after drop and you actually feel really cold. People think, Oh, I'm getting hypothermic. It's actually just that, that, um, blood from the extremities, getting into the core and you, and you feel really cold and you shiver a lot. Um, and it can last, you know, 20 minutes or, or maybe even longer. Um, but if we get out and we are very intentional and slow with the movement, we can then warm ourselves up with not having to expend a lot of that energy, not getting that heartbeat. And then literally there's a point where you're like, okay, I'm warm and I'm good. And then you can kind of dry off and, and get on your way. Also, you know, if you get out and you go straight for your towel and you dry off your brain 
gets a signal like, okay, I don't need to do the work. And then it, the blood starts mixing and, and then you feel really cold. Um, so it's, it's definitely one of those things that another part of the Wim Hof method mindset aspect, it's easy to get out and grab the towel. It's also easy to get out and do horse stance for like one or two minutes. And, and if you can just be in that, like, okay, well, I'm going to be here for five minutes and really warm myself up, then you're going to, you're going to be better off, you know, at the end. Um, because it's not, it's not very comfortable to get that after drop, you know, it's just, terrible. No, I, I mean, it's not, I shouldn't say terrible, but it's, I mean, I've had after drop where I've been shivering for an hour, you know? Yeah. That's and you're like fully clothed, beanie, oh, yeah. sweatshirt, you know? Yeah. Trying to, trying to add every bit of heat I can to my body. Yeah. So, you know, it just, again, like it's easy to take the, the quick way out and not do it, but if you can just get yourself like, Hey, I'm going to give myself this time and, and it, it really works. Um, it's amazing. I did it this morning when I, when I, it's cloudy today, water's cold today. Um, didn't want to go in the water this morning. I was in my, my mind of course was giving me all the reasons why I probably shouldn't do it. Why I had other things that were more important. Yeah. And, uh, and then I said, well, maybe I'll just swim to the close rock and come back in. You know, I've, I've done my swim, but you know, I also know that's cheating. So I got in, went to the small rock, went out to the outer rocks. You know, I do that. That's this whole process I have. But, um, but then when I came out, rather than run up the stairs and back to our house, I stayed on the beach and did the horse stance. And honestly, even though the water's colder, there's no sun. Um, I, I was probably the least cold I've ever been post swim. And yeah. it was largely, I think, due to the doing those kinds of things. Have, have you That's had cool. some of these seminars where you've, I mean, you've had a lot of people go through this? You've done it with a lot of people with with whim, with them. Um, have you, have you seen, are there people that can't do this or is this something that pretty much anybody can do? Really anyone can do it. Um, you know, there are some kind of safety things, you know, if you're, if you're pregnant or you're epileptic, you have heart conditions, definitely want to consult your doctor, yeah. you know, not, not wanting to put yourself under extreme stress if you have those conditions. But other than that, anyone can do it. I've been to Poland twice. Uh, I've had a 16 year old and an 84 year old on my trip climbing mountains in their shorts, you know? So tell us about that. So when you go to Poland, this is, you're going to, this is Vim's like kind of camp, right? Where, where his headquarters are. Yeah. So, well, he, they have headquarters in the Netherlands. He also has a house in Poland. Um, and then there's, uh, they do their winter retreats in Poland and there, some people stay at his place, which I think they've kind of redone. And then there's a hotel, like literally right next to it. I've always stayed at the hotel. Um, and what's really cool is there's a couple little swimming areas. One of them is like this waterfall cascade. If you've watched like the vice documentary or kind of seen anything on, on whim, you've seen that, um, that spot. It's actually kind of like a very sacred place for the locals. You see a lot of local people actually going and swimming in there. Um, and then particularly in the summer, uh, I've heard that it's a very popular place, but there's also, um, a, a, a mountain kind of climb that you do there. And then sort of really the, the main event is climbing Mount Schnetzka, which is um, it's right on the Czech border. It's like the tallest mountain in the area. And you 
really the trip culminates in that is that final mountain climb in your shorts, which is pretty fun. <laughs> so, and tell us about that. So you're climbing a mountain in wintertime in Poland. So there's snow on the mountain. This is effectively a ski resort. Is that right? Yeah. Which is really cool is it's sort of like this little bustling town, which I kind of had no idea really what, what, I, what to expect when I showed up, but yeah, it's this little bustling town. It's a ski ski mountain on one side. The other side is a trail that comes up uh, obviously snow, depending on the weather, it could be snowing, could be any, you know, type of condition. What, uh, I've, I've done it twice. And the first time, you know, you start this climb and you're kind of in the trees and clouds and, uh, you get to sort of this plateau and then you come around this bend and really what I found is that's where it gets hard. Uh, the wind turns on, hits you in the face, temperature drops, and then you get to this plateau and there's actually like a ski lift that people get off on. And then they, a lot of people will climb the last, you know, 800 meters is sort of like this switch back up to the top of the mountain. Um, so the first time I went, we got to the plateau, like I said, the wind turned on, it was like blasting in your face, temperature dropped a solid 15 degrees there's people everywhere. You're trying to focus, you know, a group of 30, 40 people in their shorts. Everyone's like wondering what's going on. And then you climb up this top part. We actually had beautiful, once you got up above the cloud line, it was like crystal clear, sunny. Um, but it was still like minus 15 Celsius. And, and then you climb the last part of the mountain. The second time I went, similar conditions at the bottom once we got to the plateau the wind was like 50 miles an hour it was so gnarly and um you know it was kind of i went with kind of more of a a a side more advanced group of people so everyone was kind of gung-ho and we're like let's just go for it um i think if you'd gone on any other trip uh they probably would have turned you back Um, but we, we did the climb and it was even colder and it was, it was definitely, uh, an accomplishment. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're doing it all in your shorts, you know, you got your boots and shorts and a backpack with gear and beanie and, and really that's it. And, um, you know, some of so much of it is the focus you're also hiking and you're going uphill. So, you know, you're moving and your body's pretty warm, like you know, my hands and like armpits are sweaty and the rest of my body is kind of frosty. (laughs) And then, um, and then you get to the top and there's like a little kind of hut and they sell hot chocolate. And so you kind of go in there and, you know, get your gear on and then walk back all geared up downhill. Um, so, and they've done, done this with thousands of people. Oh yeah. Yeah. They've done it. I don't even know how many, um, people have done it but yeah it's kind of like now it's kind of a known thing like people that are there are like oh you're from wins group you know so people definitely know about it in shorts probably up there though absolutely yeah well it's funny the second time i went um we got to the plateau and there's like this um it's kind of like a little ski lodge type of thing. I don't even know what it is. It's never been open when I'm there, but we kind of like pulled around the side and got some shade from the wind. And here comes this 
group of probably 20 like i don't know if they were czech military and they were like super geared up with all their like snow gear and they're like marching by us and we it's like right when we started our final uh ascent to the top and they're all just like looking at us like who are these guys you know they're like (laughs) they're supposed to be the badasses and here we are you know a bunch of hooligans climbing and, and so it was kind of funny cool little juxtaposition going up the mountain that's amazing and i think you know what's interesting about immersing yourself in discomfort and you know the the strength you you get from it is it's a great metaphor for the rest of life like you said um a lot of people are going through tremendous discomfort right now with, with yeah. the pandemic and all the you know disruption that's happening in, in everyone's life doesn't matter who you are how much money you don't have or don't have. I mean, this is very disruptive, very unpleasant, very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, do you have ways to apply the cold and immersing yourself in that cold and the kind of the, the strength you get from it on the backside to the way that, you know, you approach difficulty in other parts of your life? Well, I think that's, it sort of comes hand in hand, you know? So thinking about the breathing and the cold together, we're, we're basically putting ourselves in a controlled stress situation. You know, you think about the ice bath, it's, it's literally a bucket of water and ice. There's not a lot of outside elements that are going to come in. So, you know, you put you, you're making the conscious decision. Okay. I'm going to go in this You're You have an extreme amount of focus. You're really, um, you know, being intentional about it. You get in, you know, it's going to, you're going to get hit with that stress response. There's no, there's no if, ands or buts about it. You know, I mean, no matter how many times I get in my ice bath, I still, it takes my breath away every time. Um, and so, you know, okay, I can be in here and you kind of get through that. And then, um, once you get out, you're kind of like, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you you've trained yourself how to deal with stress in this controlled way so that then when you're out in life and stress comes at you you're you're kind of already prepared you know you're it's like anything you know the more we train something the the better we get at it like doing yoga or whatever you know you first start doing yoga you know you're you're maybe not super limber and then over time you get flexible that's what we're doing for our nervous system we're creating more flexibility Um, so that when we don't have a controlled environment or controlled stress, when it hits us, we already know, okay, I can deal with this or it doesn't maybe affect our system in the same way that it maybe once would. Um, so that's kind of how I, I look at it and, and the breathing is the same way, you know, it's like, we're putting our system under stress. We're, we're, we're breathing in patterns that maybe are mimicking a stress response, or maybe it's mimicking more of a relaxed response. Um, so we're, we're basically just creating more flexibility in our systems, um, particularly the nervous system. So that, um, when, when things aren't necessarily under our control. It's just maybe even just like a tiny bit easier. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. I think one of the things I've noticed doing some of the breathing yoga where you're, you're really focusing on your breath and you're trying to get the other thoughts out of your head, or, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit too about some of the practices and both in Wim's method and then in some of the other methods you do. 
Um, so I think the breathing, you know, people see the ice bath and think that's Wim Hof. And I think, you know, it's one component of Wim Hof, the cold, but yeah. like you said, there's mindfulness, there's the, the, the breath work that has to go together with that. And I guess the thing that I've noticed when I'm doing the breath work, it's really helped me kind of separate myself from the reactions that I have so that when it doesn't mean I'm perfect or that I don't, don't react at times, but so that when I have a reaction, I can recognize that doesn't have to be me and that I can have more control over those things, whether it's the cold, whether it's driving and, you know, somebody cuts me off, whether it's the reaction to a family member. Um, I think being able to step back and say, wait a minute, I don't, I can choose how I want to react to this. I can't control what other people do, but I can control what I do. Right. I say on social media a lot. Um, you know, you can't control what people post on your page. I mean, you can to a degree, but you know, what you can control is how you respond to that person. Yeah. And, um, you know, what they say says a lot about them, how you react says a lot about you. Um, when we were doing the breath work, you warned us up front that some people, sometimes people have kind of emotional re responses, reactions. There's some giggling, there's crying, sometimes weeping. Um, why is that? What's, what's going on? What, what are we doing in the breath work? We do, we did, I think five rounds of the breath work. What are we doing? And, and why are people having some of these big responses? Well, first I, I'd love to just kind of say one thing and, sure. and that is, um, doing breath work is an opportunity to create more awareness to your breath. You know, again, like anything that we practice, we get better at it. We become more aware of it. So when we're practicing conscious breathing, which is, you know, what the Wim Hof breathing is or, or any sort of breath work is, is, is conscious breathing because you're actually controlling your breath. Um, you, you eventually will get to the point and maybe it's even after one session and it probably is where you start to just notice your breath more. And the more you can notice your breath, you can then begin to redirect yourself because your breath is a, an indicator of your state. So um, if you're stressed, you're going to be breathing in a certain way. If you're relaxed, you're going to be breathing in a different way. And so there's this bi-directional relationship between your breath and your nervous system. Your breathing controls your nervous system. Your nervous system controls your breathing. So once you create that connection, then you can be empowered to potentially change your state or maybe slow down some of that stress response um, or, or amp it up if you need to, you know, so it goes, it goes from being able to, to get more active, more energy. It also gets to, you know, creating more um, relaxation for yourself. So I think that's one really important part and, and really the breath and the nervous system is that's kind of really the main connection that we like to focus on is in, at least in my teaching, um, because once you understand that relationship between your breath and your nervous system, then yeah, you're empowered to change your state at will. And in that moment, um, so can you walk us through what, like, cause I thought that was, it was pretty interesting in, in the training, how you walked us through, you know, the practice we were going to be doing and then how that correlates to nervous center, nervous system reactions. And I think you had some really interesting slides about the studies that have been done on Vim and his like 
heart rate, his CO2 levels, his O2 levels. Um, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. So in particular, you know, the Wim Hof breathing where we call it superventilation, hyperventilation has that negative connotation. So we call it superventilation. We're all kind of superhuman, super, uh, super people. And so we're breathing in a more accelerated pattern, full breaths, deep, full breaths. Um, so we're actually kind of putting ourselves under this, like I said, stress, we're going into more of a sympathetic state, our heartbeat, uh, heart rate goes up, we're dumping adrenaline. Um, so we're, we're putting ourselves in this more active uh, fight flight response, then we hold our breath, and particularly on the exhale. So, you know, we end up going down to the other side. So we're sort of getting like this interval training for our nervous system. We're breathing fast. We're going um, up. Then we hold our breath on the exhale and then we start to come down. Everything kind of relaxes. I always like to use the analogy of like a snow globe. You know, it's like you're breathing and you shake up the snow globe and everything's like going crazy. And then you go into this retention and everything kind of pixelates and starts to settle. Um, and then, you know, you're doing three, four or five rounds of it. So you're kind of getting this, this more fluctuation between both ends of the spectrum. Um, so, so we're doing 30, each round is 30 or 40 breaths roughly of superventilation. Yeah. So your big inhale, you're filling your stomach and then your chest, and then you're letting it fall out. You're not pushing the air back out. Right. And we were doing it, we were laying down. So you know, nobody falls over or has some kind of, you know, you really focus on your breathing. Yeah. And there was like, I mean, a lot of us were fairly new to the Wim Hof method and we were getting some pretty strong physical reactions or tingly fingers, um, you know, hands almost, it's not, is it cramping that T-Rex kind of like, yeah, it's called, it's called tetany. Tetany. Yeah. Uh, I was getting my feet too, I think. Yeah. Hands, feet, lips, you can kind of get like this duck lips, <laughs> duck lips, your face kind of like locks up and, and it can be super uncomfortable for me. I, I actually love it because, you know, it's like, it just shows you that, Hey, you're alive. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just the kind of reframing of it. Um, you know, a lot of that is a chemical reaction where you're actually going more alkaline, you know, you think about carbon dioxide being an acid. So we're dumping off a lot of CO2. So our bodies are going alkaline. Um, we're moving energy, you know, you mentioned, uh, emotions, thinking about how we live, we're moving so fast that a lot of the emotions that we have, we don't really deal with. We're just kind of stuffing them in. We're not, we're not taking care of it. And so as we breathe, we're sort of mixing up the pot, if you will. And so some of that emotion that was stuffed down, not dealt with starts to bubble to the surface and it can be in any really any sort of form um you know from crying laughing shaking moving twitching you know all these sorts of things and so i always say it's like just a great opportunity to just like let it go i've had breathing sessions where i just am like sobbing for 30 40 minutes for, I don't really know why, but it's just like something's come up. Uh, I've had other times where I've just like sweat profusely, like through my clothes and, and, you know, it's like, just, we're just kind of purging stuff that's stuck and not, not dealt with. Um, you also think about our, uh, where we store a lot of that, 
emotion is is sort of around the base of the rib cage in that diaphragm area and when we're doing this more connected breathing like you said we're we're starting the breath low in the belly and then bringing up to our chest so we're actually really getting that diaphragm in the game here and starting to move that and a lot of times people are not engaging their diaphragm and their breath we're stressed like i said we're moving fast a lot of our breath is like really up in our chest and shallow, that's not it that's shallow breathing yeah shallow fast and in the chest that's not your ideal breath we want it low slow in the belly you know or we say it in the belly but really it's we want a diaphragmatic breath um the belly is is it's kind of not really the best <laughs> description of it but but it feels like that though it feels like it feels your belly like it. rises because your diaphragm's moving obviously you're not i don't think you're putting air in your belly right right, right physiologically right. but your your diaphragm's doing all this work so it rises and then it fills your lungs and your, your chest rises right so so we're getting that in the game here and that's starting to unlock some of that you know built up um emotion so it can come out in any any sort of fashion and, and it's powerful. It, yeah. And some of those other sensations that you get in the body, the tetany, the tingling, the pulsation, the, the, all of those things. And I don't know that this is hundred percent true because I don't know that we can make that distinction scientifically, but if for me, I've, it's like, Oh wow. I have like all this energy and all this power in my body. And it sort of like reawakens me. And, and, and so some of that emotion kind of comes out through that. It's like, Whoa, here I am. Like I'm, I'm this being that is like powerful. And, you know, I would say at least the first time I went to Poland, it was really where I learned to love myself again, because I could really appreciate this, body that I have and all the amazing things that I can do from enduring the cold to breathing in this way, to feeling like, like I'm floating in space to all, you know, even psychedelic almost experiences, you know, you've got, I'm sure you've had the colors of, you know, you're kind of seeing colors and stuff. So I, I was having, you know, I was, when I was reading the book, there were, there was some talk about using your pelvic floor to try on the, um, you know, on the end of that, breath to push into the up it kind of feels like you're pushing into your head yeah and we, we had kind of these it was you know we were outside in the sunlight so we had some things on our faces just to keep keep it dark so it's not like there was light coming in or anything but I was getting almost like um graphics that maybe you know I would have experienced using you know psychedelics like psilocybin or something where you're seeing like I saw a leopard's head with two um, pink and orange kind of mandalas spinning in opposite directions, or I saw like a single eye with like two suns spinning. It was, uh, I was really surprised. Like I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't looking for it. Um, but it was just, I think to your point, there's like this big release. There's a DMT dump that I think happens too potentially. And so you start to get some of those, some of those graphics or some of those, uh, visuals that you might get. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff, we're tapping into, into the medicine box here. You know, we have, we have the pharmacy built in and we're just tapping into that, you know, the endocannabinoid system is, is working as well. You know, Wim always says, get high on your own supply. And, you know, you definitely, you definitely can feel that. Um, I will say that um, that's not necessarily the point of it. Right. 
people have that experience and then they start chasing it. And what I've found is the more I'm chasing it, the further away it gets. And so just trusting the breath that it's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it and not trying to go for a certain experience or a certain feeling. Um, And, and you, it's like, you see it. Like, I mean, I've watched a lot of people breathe and, and people who have had some of those experiences, you can see them really pushing it, like getting their body into it and breathing so hard. And I found for myself, like the more I can not push and actually use my exhale to like, really let go, just like, let the exhale drop. There's no force. I'm not controlling it in any way. And then that's where it's like a lot of things open up for me. So I just, prefacing that you know it's like when you get to those places like don't expect that every time um and and that's partly why maybe some people stop is like you know over time our bodies adapt and and they get used to it they're not as it's not as impressed with some of the stimulation that's coming on so these sensations start to to kind of subside and it takes a little bit more or, or some different manipulations to get there so um yeah you had mentioned too you know i think when talks about this and you talked about it you know you want to get your ego out of it right this isn't you're not and please correct me if i'm not getting this quite right i'm trying to paraphrase and and love to hear what you're thinking but it you know it kind of feels like when you're if you come in with these big expectations or trying to force something out of your body um you know you might you might kind of miss the point of doing breath work which i think at least for me has been to remove my ego to remove myself my you know, the idea of outcomes from doing the work itself. I think the, right. the outcomes are the outcomes and the work is the work. And, and if you do the work, the outcomes will be there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, Wim says no ego, we go. Um, I think saying I'm getting rid of my ego and I have no ego is that's the ego right there, you know? So it's, it's part of us and, and it's kind of really more about how we, our relationship to it, but but yeah, the more you can um, let go of the expectation of what you're going to get, the better, uh, I would say. And, and really the practice, it's so much about like the consistency and just doing it no matter what you feel like you're getting some benefits from it, no matter what, like five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. Um, so, you know, finding a, a consistency with it, it's just going to make things better that much more beneficial in life. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've definitely have a daily practice where I, I do breath work every morning, but then as I'm going through my day, I just inherently start noticing my breath and I'm like, Oh, wow, I'm holding my breath right now. And just taking a couple deep, full breaths. Um, or I'm feeling tired. Okay. I can, you know, speed up my breath and get myself more, energy or I'm feeling overstimulated. Okay. I need to kind of change directions and slow myself down. So, you know, it's, it's really is a tool. And once you kind of learn how to use it, then it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of the jam. How and why did you get into breath work? I mean, you, you train Wim Hof, but you train, you do other, other, other modalities as well. How did you get into it? And why did you get into it? What was it that was kind of pushing you I assume you didn't grow up with parents that were teaching you, you know, breathing meditation or something. 
No, definitely did not have that. Um, my parents have taken everything from me. <laughs> um, so really my entry point was through the Wim Hof method. I, you know, I've got two young kids. I have serial entrepreneur. I've got startup, a couple startup businesses. I was running a digital marketing agency and surfing has always been my kind of escape or connection to nature, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, as those responsibilities increase from kids to work to life, the surf time decreased. And so I was just looking for something to kind of tap into. And, you know, I've done every sport under the moon. I've done yoga, I've done all the things and nothing really connected for me like surfing. And I heard Wim on a podcast and was like, dude, this guy's got some mojo here that I want to like, what's going on. And I ended up going home and telling my wife about it. And she was like, Oh, you should call Luke. Who's a friend of ours. He, he was just telling me about this. Um, so I called him and the first thing he said to me was, Oh, you want a life upgrade? <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure. And, um, who says you know, no to that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's been doing breath work. You know, he's he's a yoga teacher. He's been doing all different kinds of breath work for for years. And so he came over and we did one breathing session. And I I had never felt like that in my life. And I was like, what is this? Wow. And so I just dove into the Wim Hof method. I did you know his ten week course, and um, I did it in like ten days. Then I went to a workshop and. Um, from there, I went to Poland. And so it just kind of like snowballed from there. And then within that, I was just like, well, okay, there's this Wim Hof method thing, but then there's all these other like breathing methods and schools of breath. And so I just started experimenting and playing with them. You know, I had my friend Luke, he's a, he has a lot of experience with rebirthing, which is another um, breathing kind of school. And so I did some rebirthing sessions. I've done some transformational breath. I've done, you know, I've tried to really explore as much as I can. Um, Have you done transcendental meditation? Uh, TM meditation. My wife is a TM practitioner, but um, I, I mean, not really. I've done some like mantra meditations, but not, not like TM exactly. But um, I was reading a David Byrne book. I think it was David Byrne about TM and how powerful it was for him. And I haven't been able to discover that yet, but it sounded pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, and so what's, what's your daily practice like? Like what are you doing on a daily basis now? It really kind of depends. Uh, so over, well, I guess a year ago, um, my friend Luke and I, and another um, friend, her name's Kimberly Johnson. We started an online um breath community. And really the idea was like, okay, well, we're already waking up and doing some sort of breath practice. And in my experience, in my workshops and my classes that I teach, people are always like, how do I do this every day? Like, what do you do? How do I do this every day? How do I get a practice? So we were just like, all right, well, we're already waking up and doing it. Let's just share it. So we started, um, you know, doing live streams of, of our morning practice and it's really kind of blossomed into this global community. You know, we've got about 180, a little over 180 members from pretty much all every continent. We've got um, nine, eight, eight different 
breath guides, we call them. So instructors that lead a morning practice, everyone's got a little bit different background, um, you know, from somatic experiencing, Wim Hof, rebirthing, transformational, pranayama. So really there's this wide range of breath practices that are taught in these morning live streams. There are 12 to 15 minutes. You know, the idea was like, okay, let's make it short so people can really do it and not take a lot of time. So an hour a week, like we all have an hour a week to dedicate to a breathing practice. And so that's really kind of become my, my daily practice or my morning practice. And that can vary what's from what's the name of this. Uh, it's called our breath collective, our breath collective.com. Uh, you know, it's a membership site. And uh, so everyone, everyone has a little bit different approach a little bit different way of doing it that's what i love about it is it's not just the same thing over and over again you know that's kind of what i found in in the whim community is like people are so gung-ho like wim hof method is the only way and it's like well you're kind of missing the rest of the colors of the rainbow here and um <laughs> well, there's a lot so, of practices too right there's like kundalini there's all different i mean there's like you said totally you're listing a number of and them. And there's a lot of different like protocols, you know, box breathing, four, seven, eight resonance breathing, uh, you know, so there's all these different already kind of pre made, uh, protocols, but then there's the exploration within that. And, you know, our approach with our breath collective is really, let's look at the principles of breathing and from the principles, then we can create our own sort of protocols based on what, where we're trying to go, what we're trying to do and, and really empowering people to understand here, here's what the principles of the physiology and chemistry are great. For the most part, everyone's fairly similar on that spectrum. Then looking at, okay, what are the principles of our nervous system? And when we begin to understand that nervous system, I keep coming back to this because that's really kind of where we all differ so much is our nervous system. So once we can understand that and okay, how does this type of breathing or this breath pattern affect my nervous system compared to maybe this one? And, and so then you can begin to like understand what your system needs to change direction. So that's how we teach and instruct, um, you know, we've got, uh, a breathwork intensive that we do quarterly. It's a four week, um, really deep dive into, into these principles. And then now we're actually launching a teacher training starting in January, which will be a six month training that breaks down the principles and really empowers that, um, uh, we call it multidisciplinary breathwork. So, being able to tune into who you're working with and then adapt and help them in a very personalized way. Um, you know, there's so many people coming into breathing right now. It's, it's really kind of just, we're at the sort of forefront of this movement. And I think Nestor's book has been a, a massive catalyst and catapult for getting the word out there um, because it's just a, it's, it really is like, if you're going to re read one breathing book, that's the one. It's called breath by James Nestor, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, 
it's, it's just an interesting time. You know, we're hearing more and more about breath work. There's all these new schools of breath kind of coming out. Really, it kind of all boils down to the same principles, the same things that, you know, the yogis were doing. And, and, but now we have like all this amazing science to really kind of further it and, and fine tune it in a way that um, I don't think has been, been available before. And, you know, I think breathing is going to surpass yoga at some point. I mean, so so powerful you had mentioned you know that the for example the Wim Hof method is really helpful for things like for example give a hangover and uh, I woke up about five this morning and didn't feel that great because of you know we got a little festive last night and um I just laid down you know laid back down and did uh did the Wim Hof breathing and did two rounds of it and then two rounds I felt almost a hundred percent. Like I felt real, I probably should have done another round. I probably would have felt a hundred percent, but, um, and why is that? Why is, why does breathing, why is breathing able to affect my body chemistry or what's happening in that case? In that case, uh, we, we kind of already touched on it a little bit ago, but around carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide being an acid in the body, also alcohol, you know, is an acid. So we're, we're highly acidic, uh, the hangover is also inflammation in the system. So we go into this, you know, super ventilation breathing protocol. We're dumping a lot of CO2. So we're, we're getting rid of a lot of that acid. Our body's actually going more alkaline. Uh, also we're, we're working with that inflammation. You're stimulating this, uh, vagus nerve, getting the inflammation to, um, to go down. And so then, you're, that's why you're feeling less of the effect of the hangover after doing some breath work. Same would go for like headaches. You know, people have migraines. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm notoriously bad at um, hydrating myself. So I, I wake up a lot of times in the morning and I have a headache and I can do, you know, 20, 30 breaths and, and feel a lot better. Um, you, is, is there a way to help people who have trouble sleeping to do, use breath work to sleep better? So yeah, more of like a sleeping protocol would be kind of switching the other way rather than speeding the breath up, it's going to be slowing it down. So, you know, focusing on your exhale and extending your exhale. One thing that I really like to do in, is, you know, it'd be like a four second inhale or kind of really what's, what's comfortable for you three, four, five second inhale, and then match that on the exhale. And then every three, two, three, four breaths start to add some seconds to your exhale. So I would go four in, four out, four in, six out, four in, eight out, four in, 10, four in, uh, 12 out. And by the time I would get to like 10 or 12 seconds on my exhale, I'm feeling like super relaxed. Um, that's just like a kind of a simple one. You know, there's the four, seven, eight protocol, which would be, uh, developed by um, Andrew wheel, Dr. Andrew wheel. Uh, it's four second in hold at the top for seven seconds, exhale for eight seconds. Um, okay. you know, that, that breath hold is also like a parasympathetic, uh, trigger. So you're kind of going more into that relaxed state. Um, but really the exhale, focusing on the exhale, lengthening it, slowing it down, getting your breath low in your belly. Uh, if you lie, if you can lie down, you know, you can really accentuate that belly breath. And, you know, when you're sitting up, you have 
sort of a lot of muscles engaged in order to keep you upright. But if you're lying down, it kind of allows that to relax and you can really get into that belly. Um, so I, I always recommend, you know, particularly when you're first starting breath work is, is lying down. Um, there are times when it's nice to sit up, but. Yeah, no, but I think, I think you're right. I think that especially getting started for, for novices like me, it just helps a lot to isolate everything and kind of focus on the breathing. Yeah. Do, um, how has this changed your life? I mean, you talked about being a serial entrepreneur, uh, having a digital agency, uh, you're obviously very busy with, you know, a wife and kids, a family that, that needs time. Um, how much time are you devoting right now to breathing, to breath work? Um, has this become like a full-time occupation for you? What's, what's, what's happening there? Yeah. So, um, actually in August, uh, I left the agency that I started, um, and have just been focusing on this full-time, you know, I, I, primarily run the our breath collective business um my partners you know are they both have full-time jobs one of them's a school teacher the other is um she does all sorts of things but i've been the one to kind of take that and then on top of that i teach wim hof workshops i teach um private one-on-one -on -one coaching uh breathwork coaching uh group practices I'd have a weekly breath, um, class that I teach in a park here. It used to be in a yoga studio, but now it's outside in the park, which I actually love. Um, so yeah, this is becoming my full-time, my full-time gig. Um, you know, one of the things that once I really got into Wim Hof method, breathing, all of these things, it was like, I, I kind of had this internal struggle where I was like, okay, well I have this marketing agency that I'm sort of more or less proliferating a lot of the issues that we're dealing with. You know, my agency was focused on social media. So it's like, I'm keeping people on the phone. I'm, you know, not necessarily promoting the best health, but then on the other end, here I am like out teaching these other practices that are then helping people with the problems that the social media and the things are creating. So for me, it was like this kind of struggle. Um, and, and so, you know, I just came, came the time where it was like time to move on. And, and here I am now kind of focusing on something that I feel like is, is definitely more in line with, with what I want to be putting out into the world and what I want to be doing and, and helping people with. Um, so yeah, it's become a major, a major focus for me now. I mean, it is the focus. <laughs> no, that's great. And I think, you know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is how people find their purpose, right? Um, and there's a really interesting Venn diagram that Jim Collins did. Uh, he calls it the, and you've seen it in a few studies, like the, the Japanese, it's called Ikigai. Um, yeah. It's kind of idea, but it's, Love that. you know, the simplest version is what are you passionate about that you're actually good at, you know? have some comparative advantage at it or good at where you can earn basically earn a living. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, but you're making enough money that you can survive yeah. as a profession. Um, how did you, how did you get to a point where you decided, you know what, this is taking me away from what my hedgehog concept is or whatever those, you know, wherever these things come together, how did you make that, de that, that decision to leap and be like, I'm doing this. I'm going to do that. 
Um, I mean, it's been, it's definitely been a journey. Uh, you know, for me, I've always been just like, follow my intuition, follow my gut, follow what I, what feels right. You know, I, um, after I graduated college, I moved to Kauai uh, for three years and was just kind of like doing awesome stuff. Like I guided kayak tours on the Nepali coast. I worked in a restaurant, made pretty good money. Um, I've always been a very visual person, visual learner. I loved cooking food. Um, so I was always like watching the chef and I had friends who were private chefs. So I moved home, started a private chef thing, um, quickly figured out that that wasn't for me. I would prefer to cook for my friends and have it be low stress and just enjoy cooking for cooking. So um, I've always just had a knack for computers and technology. So um, I met a guy, a professional surfer named Cyrus Sutton, and he had just started a surf blog called Corduroy TV. And he asked me to be a part of it. So I ended up running that blog for about eight years. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun and I, I didn't make any money on it on the side. It was kind of more like a passion project side thing, but simultaneously I start, I taught myself how to build websites. And so I was doing web development and then running this blog while I was doing the blog, it was like kind of really where social media started. And so I, you know, it was just, I had like the ultimate platform to experiment with, and I didn't really have anyone telling me what to do. So um, I just kind of, I don't know, figured it out. And then um, I was kind of drifting from, from the web dev stuff. So I, um, I got a couple freelance gigs. I worked for Leatherman and Reef doing so freelance social media. That's where I met my business partner for the agency. And we started our agency together and then, you know, built this kind of um, boutique agency. And then once I got exposed to the Wim Hof stuff and, and breath work, it was like, I don't know, it just changed me, you know, it just changed who I was, what I was about. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and, and there was the opportunity to leave, leave the agency. Um, it was not something I ever really planned or expected or even really thought was possible. Um, and, you know, COVID's had its, silver linings. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was one of them. Um, so yeah, it's just been kind of one of those things. Like I said, I just have like, okay, what feels good at the time and just follow that, you know? And, and yes, I do think about, okay, how am I going to make money and keep my family going? But also like through this entrepreneurial exploration, like, just trusting that it's going to come uh, because what I'm doing is something I'm passionate about. And, you know, the, the imposter syndrome and all of those things that come into play, it's like, all right, well, I feel like the breathing has helped me deal with that. Um, and, and so, yeah, just kind of like keep forging ahead and, and trusting in that if I'm invested in it, in my heart, then the rest will come, you know? And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, still like in this, all right, like got to hustle and like really kind of build what I'm doing and, and hopefully, you know, it's all going to kind of pan out. I mean, it is, it's all, it's, it's working. So um, yeah, that's kind of been my journey through, through all of this stuff. 
How is it? How is it? Is your wife, I assume your wife is pretty supportive of, of this journey. She's yeah, she's, I mean, she's amazing. She's definitely very supportive of it. Um, and you know, I mean, there's always the, the bumps along the way, but she's, she's definitely there for me no matter what. And, you know, she, I think she kind of has, she admires me for like following my heart and, and just kind of doing what, what I want to do and what I feel is right. Um, rather than just like slogging through everything, because I think she understands like if I'm doing something I'm passionate and happy about, then I'm just going to be happier and better at home, you know? Um, so I think that that's definitely a big part of it. And yeah, it's, um, it's been an interesting, interesting few months. I mean, as for everyone, uh, but yeah, just, is she practicing the breath work with you? Yeah, she, she does breath work. Um, she actually teaches on our breath collective as well. Um, you know, every, every couple of weeks, um, we kind of rotate through people. So she's, she's a part of that, which is, which is cool. You know, she's learned a lot from me and I mean, she's been a yoga teacher for 20 years. So she's got like some pranayama experience and, um, just a lot of understanding of the body. And so Very cool. it's come naturally for her. Yeah. So, um, if people want to find you on social, are you, you're on social, correct? Yeah. Um, Instagram's kind of my main spot. Uh, Reese Peluso, R E I S P A L U S O. That's my Instagram. You know, I post kind of updates as to what I'm doing and other sometimes breathing related things. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, being in a, in the social media world. And I mean, I, understand how it all works and it's just like i feel like i've needed a, a bit of a break from it so i'm not um probably putting out a lot of content that is where i anticipate it going in the very near future but i kind of just needed like okay take a breath here and <laughs> and uh separate yourself from it for a bit but you know, on, uh, on the OBC, our breath collective stuff, we post a lot of informational and little practices. We do some Instagram lives. If people want to try it out, they can go on there and, and check it out. Um, and so then, somebody yeah. wants to reach out to you to, to, uh, you know, engage your services, maybe do some one-on-ones or get a group together to do an ice bath, uh, kind of program. Um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, right now, probably, probably through Instagram, you know, shoot me a DM, uh, and we can kind of go from there. I have a website, but it's, it's not, it's in the process of getting kind of rebuilt. Uh, it's just my name, reesepeluso.com. And yeah, that's, that's kind of the best way. Uh, like I said, I do, you know, one-on-one privates. I've been working with some professional athletes that are, um, snowboarders that are, you know, training and getting prepared for the winter. I work with people in corporate America dealing with stress and anxiety. I deal with, you know, I work with really anyone, you know, the breath applies to us all. Uh, I do private classes, like even just like a breathing class uh, where we just breathe, uh, do workshops where it's kind of more of the, the why behind the breathing. And then um, do some retreats here and there as well. So kind of run the gamut of it all. And, um, yeah. And I love doing the, the group kind of dynamic thing with the Wim Hof and, um, 
ice bath and all that. It's super fun. Just, it creates like this epic bond as you experienced. And uh, hopefully your crew keeps, keeps rolling, uh, in the Laguna area. So. Yeah. I took, uh, my, one of our renters, Ben Young is an artist. Uh, he was there. He and I did a swim yesterday. He was bummed that he missed my swim this morning, but I'll probably do another one with him later. And then we have another guy who started joining us. So we have, we're getting a building group of people who want to get, get cold in the morning and, and, uh, you know, leverage that, but also do the breathing. Yeah. I think the combination is really important. Um, yeah. And the, the, the cold, um, is so great to do it in the ocean. Yeah. I love not any sort of natural cold I can get into, you know, a lot of people stress out about having an ice bath or whatever, but I mean, a cold shower is great too, but nothing like getting in a, the cold ocean or lake or river or something. It's, it's the ultimate. Yeah. We've, we've had a proliferation of abalone and, um, sheep's head sheep's head are fish that eat the abalone mm. and, um, kind of crazy how many, you know, where we live has become a marine preserve and the, uh, we happen to live on a little cove here where the water's generally pretty clear. It's a good place to dive. And so I just put a, you know, face plate on in the morning, go out and we're finding, all of these really beautiful abalone shelves while we're doing this cold water swimming. And I think the combination kind of gives you something to think about. So you're not just obsessing about the cold yeah. um, and trying to, you know, it kind of takes your head out of it, allows you to kind of um, think differently. And I, I watched this movie. I think you've probably seen it. The, my octopus teacher. Yeah. And uh, I can jokingly call it my abalone teacher. Cause it just kind of, you know, immerses you in the environment immerses you in this experience that everything has a connection everything matters and yeah. uh, it's a nice meditation in the morning get out of the head and into the experience you know something to get out of that spinning mind of ours exactly get the monkey brain shut down yeah. so we're, we're working with you to schedule another um probably another vim hoff experience because we have a number of people who saw including my kids uh they're adults but who wanted to be there, couldn't be there. Um, they're going to be around after the holidays. And, uh, so we're looking forward to putting something on the books with you, hopefully January 2nd or 3rd. Cool. Um, yeah, we'll make sure we invite others who want maybe want to do that with us. We do it safely outside. Uh, we're careful about COVID, but, um, you know, in the great sunny outdoors, I think it's pretty safe. It's, and, it's the way to do it. And, um, and then I hope people reach out to you because this is, been transformational for me and uh, for my wife Sarah and uh, we expect to see more of our friends getting involved in the cold and meditation and breathing and uh, working on their breath yeah thank absolutely thank you so much I appreciate it and um, yeah I would love to hear from anyone questions anything really you know happy to happy to help and much appreciate the time David thank you no great interview thank you Reese all right cheers cheers Namaste. This has been the Kick Aspirational Podcast. As always, uh, you know, it's not a spectator sport. Whatever you do this week, get outside, scare yourself a little bit, live in the discomfort, and be Kick Aspirational.